Welcome to episode three of Order of Operations. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, this is my project where I like to talk about uh, digital security uh, from the perspective of everyone rather than just from security specialists or media markets. Uh, today, I'm very lucky to have uh, Roman with me. He's a, a Bash expert. Uh, that's a shell language and interface that you use for using on the Linux operating system. He's literally written the book about it. He's a bit of a Linux guru. Uh, I also consider him one of my data paranoid Euro friends. He uh, is uh, very uh, conscientious about what data is available for him and about him and to whom and uh, what data privacy means. So uh, with no further ado, welcome Roman. Hey. So yeah, first of all, technically I'm not a Bash expert. My real job is Java developer. Like people tend to forget about that, but I'm supposed to be a Java developer. I just don't like to write Java, so I just write bash generating <laughs> Java code. Uh, and so, so you find you think I'm like a data paranoid guy? I mean, like I'm I think compared to many of my coworkers in Red Hat, I'm pretty, you know, pretty easygoing and pretty mild with that. I do have a Gmail address, for instance. But yes, <laughs> I have like valid, yeah. valid. You're you're not a complete, you know. Uh, going the Luddite route of must firewall, yeah. you know, live in a Faraday cage to protect myself. But from <laughs> a from what I would consider the the more centrist perspective, you are on the data paranoid side of the scale. Well, I would say the following <laughs> thing is that most people are completely fine sharing their dick pic with everybody on the universe. I just share my dick pic with Google. That's where yes. I am on the spectrum, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> So, um, but yeah, you also have a, a strong, long and strong background in open source and uh, what that means and the whole uh, availability of code and how that impacts security and the ability to inspect what programs are doing, what they're not, and how that affects availability and security. Yep, definitely. Well, maybe before we go to that, I, I should do a couple of disclaimer. First disclaimer yeah. is that I do work for Red Hat, um, like, I don't know, we are Red Hat Inc., and now we are like IBM. So whatever I'm saying here, whatever I'm going to talk about has nothing to do with Red Hat. Red Hat isn't involved yeah. in this thing, blah, blah, be blue, yeah. don't yeah. sue me. Yeah, uh, yeah. All, all, all opinions uh, are entirely our own and not by anybody that we work for or may in some way, shape, or form represent. Thank you. Perfect for doing this legal thingy. And the second disclaimer is that I'm French, so you're going to have to suffer my accent from this old stuff. And I'm also going to be politically very incorrect. I think I already said dick pic, so I'm already there. Uh, yeah, so if, if you are like, offended by uh, bad languages, I think this podcast, this episode isn't for you. Skip to yeah. the next one. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think we'll be fine. You're not that bad, but thanks for the, uh, for the heads up. Fair warning at least. Um, yeah. So let's start off with talking about data privacy and what that means to you. Well, I mean, to make it to make a very strong point, it's been nothing because it's dead. Like there is like right right now, there is almost no way to keep your data private. Everything is going to be synchronized automatically by your phone or whatever in the cloud. Your email is being read by both Gmail by by, by Google on the NSA. Uh, so data privacy is basically you writing in a, in a notebook and putting this notebook in your basement. That's what's left. I mean, as an option. Well, what again? What do you define as private? Where where is that line? You know, well, if if I mean, if you write it in a notebook and put it in your basement, your basement knows about it. 
<laughs> well, if my yeah, if my basement come to life, or if there's a rat in my basement and reading the books, they might not start. Well, well I mean, yeah, these that's days very, with yeah. with with smart houses and such, that's actually a thing. So you know, that's mm. yeah. where, where do you draw that line? Gosh, that now the top of the is even more dead than before with uh, with uh, smart <laughs> house. So so I think you're making a good point because the real question of like I think the question of the top of, top of the sea is a bit like which kind of lock do you put in your garage door? Like if your garage yeah. door is having a car completely locked and a couple of armor in it and maybe like, I don't know, old, old rusted nails, you're not going to mm-hmm. invest into like the latest high-tech lock. You're going to put like a small, cheap lock because if it gets stolen, well, who cares? Yeah. Uh, the car having its own security device inside it. So that's, I guess this is very much a question of how much data, like how much information I want to share and to with whom or which company I'm sharing it. And this is probably where we are getting a bit, people are getting a bit like, let, let's say like, well, is a, good word, is a strong word, but like ad, because they don't realize that by, you know, by putting a uh, picture on Facebook, they have actually shared that with the Facebook corporation behind it and not only their friend on Facebook. So it's very much this, like this gray zone of, Yes, and I, my data is not private, but if it's a picture on Facebook with my friend and that Facebook is somehow knowing this picture and can even use this picture, like maybe I don't give a shit, so that's fine with me. On the other way around, I guess, like if you, you know, if you go through, through an application like WhatsApp and again, to make the joke of sending a dick pic, maybe you don't want this picture to end up into the NSA uh, surveillance program. And this is yeah. where, like, you know, the the, the, the the level of privacy is to be fixed, but so yeah, you you're making claims that you know if if Google knows about it, then NSA knows about it. If Facebook knows about it, then NSA knows about it, and we can apply MI6 or uh, uh, GSR or you know any of the uh, the various. Well, um, first of all, intelligence agencies out there. Just just because um, of a bit of a spy buff, I just I need to stop you right there. Am I six being part of of the English English services <laughs> and Brexit coming around? Yes. Okay. Okay. MI6 okay. Has become part of the American, like it's part of the, of the CIA. It's like a uh, spin-off of the CIA nowadays. But um, I mean, so I don't like I don't know it for a fact, but I think it's it's say, like if you put something on the internet, like either like sending a picture, writing an email, you need to walk from the assumption that. The company using this uh, services using has access to it, and that any partner, whether it's a company like uh, like whether it's like an agency like the NSA or is it like a business partner, may have access to it. So you have to work on this very uh, gloom assumption or like very grim assumption, so that this way you're like, okay, am I fine with that? Most of the most of the time, we'll be fine with that. I mean, actually, yeah. like yeah, you that, know, that's actually you, a yeah. really good point. Is you know, when I'm putting data out there. Is is this data that I need to keep secure? Is putting my, you know, the picture of me and my my friends enjoying a beer, you know, at the corner restaurant, you know, across the street, is that something that I need to keep private? Yeah, um, and this is where it gets very tricky because you, th- that's a perfect example. I want to rebound on that because you might think, well, that's safe. Who cares? Like I'm having mm-hmm. beer around the corner, but that yeah. might actually be a, a, a useful information for many people. Like, uh, a business company might be interested of which bar, what are you drinking, what are you wearing mm-hmm. when you're drinking, what do your friend drinks with you. That's a lot of data for like a business or marketing company. Uh, but isn't that useful? Isn't it helpful for for me to let those companies know that 
I like drinking Schwarzbier and I really don't need to see any more Budweiser ads because I'm not <laughs> going to buy Budweiser anymore. So well, if you could yeah. show me a couple more Fulstritzer <laughs> or show me ads for Schwarzbier that I haven't had before, is it, I mean, isn't that a useful thing? Well, so well, two things. First of all, I'm not like I don't drink alcohol, but I know for a fact that Budweiser is a war. <laughs> okay. So okay. yes. Okay. Like, Coca-Cola versus Fritz Cola. How's that? But yeah, so no, that is actually a, a bigger point to what you're saying right now because, yes, like technically, you could say, Hey, it's fine, I'm going to get the right advertisement, but this is also a very intrusive advertisement because it's going to be like, Hey, we know you're drinking beer and we want you to drink this other beer, and this has led in the past already, like it's like you know, to make an, a very quick uh, comparison, it's like advertising online game to people going to a casino, like maybe you yeah. don't want them to gamble more, and also. Yeah that's tied in into the filter bubble problem. Like we know since uh, the last election in the US, the issue of the filter bubble has appeared very clearly. And the more you get this customized marketing, the less, like the more people are basically feeding your bubble, the most you, the more you're going to stay yes. in the bubble. That's an issue. A- by absolutely. Itself. Absolutely. Bubbles are a problem. And to, continue the uh, the counterpoint here one of the advantages of having this consumer data is as a producer of maybe a pilsner um and th- this new brand of pilsner i know that i need to target people that are in their own bubble so i'm going to start advertising into that bubble now this is getting into deep marketing stuff and we sh- would be much better off having schmoo and a couple of other data scientists uh for this conversation because I believe we're stepping outside of both of yours and my Ooh, particular definite, expertise. Definitely, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, so, my point is more like, uh, my main point on this topic, which is still within yeah. our skill set, is yeah. like, it's not that obvious what data you want to keep private or not. It's not that easy yeah. to figure out. No, no, it's definitely a, a complex problem that's worth having long, complicated conversations about. Um, <laughs> it all comes back down to what's important to you. And um, as you said, you know, if you have a, you know, a garage and the only thing in that garage is a car that has its own safety, i.e., you know, security uh, encryption wrapped around that particular data packet, and you have a garage that the only thing in there is that particular data packet, and it's an old beat up garage that's not in very good shape. Do you bother putting a state of the art lock on this old beat up garage when the the object that you want to keep safe already has its own protections involved, which is an excellent analogy, I believe. Yeah, and to be completely honest, and because I am a fan of open source, I'm going to quote the source of that. This is an analogy coming from the TV show called Adam Ruins Everything. And he made this analogy about the security system on the plane, like, you know, TSC and stuff. Just because I want to stall the IP of this analogy. Yeah, this is actually a great segue into open source. So um, yep. give me your opinions on free as in speech versus free as in beer, because that's yeah. a common common thing that's toted around with the, the open source community. And um, Yeah, that's something that people tend to, yeah, uh, to forget a lot. So uh, so just maybe, maybe like framing a bit what open source is, because it's still like now it's become pretty famous. Like I'm, I'm always amazed to see like TV show where they mention open source. And so, like, well, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's probably because we're also, but so just again, open source, just to very come back to the original ID at the beginning of, uh, of the computer system, at the beginning of the first uh, uh, computer being created, software was like something that people were sharing, like, oh, I wrote this piece of software, 
here it is and like you know buy my hardware and i will give you the software for free because you know software is nothing basically it was just like oh that's how you use my thing i mean in a way in a way software was kind of you know how to use your the machine you're buying so it was not very much deemed something that you have to own at some point it became complex enough to be worth selling and actually i think this is i think ibm was the first one to do the very, I mean, from my point of view, the very bad thing of closing source, but anyway, <laughs> so they start closing source saying, I'm not going to give you the source code anymore. I'm not going to give you the, the program itself. And if you want, like, you know, you won't know how the program is working, so you won't be able to copy how it's working or be, uh, being inspired by that. This is when the free software movement started because people were saying like, no, that I want to know how stuff are working. I want to learn. I want to copy. I want to improve. I want to have, and this is where they started doing what 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 ended up being called free software with free source code. So the source code was available. You could look at the source code, see how it's working. You could tweak it, change it, uh, make it better, make it well crappier. But like anyway, you could uh, you could play with it. And that was the birth of well, free software. And basically, the issue is that to make it very quick again, uh, what happened is that to protect themselves from being ripped off by company because companies could just say, hey. Your stuff is free, so I'm taking it and I'm selling it. They made a very strong license on top of this free soft software saying, yes, my stuff is free, but if you use it without telling me, uh, well, you are going to, uh, your own software is going to become free. So it was like a protection to say, like, if you take my free software and sell it, I'm making your whole software free. <laughs> so yes. that was, a, yeah, that was the beginning of... I, I do want to to uh, go back and define free uh, here because it wasn't to say that you couldn't sell it. You just needed to make the source code publicly available. Yep. Yeah, so I was going to describe open source and come back to that, yeah. but let's go for that right yeah. now. So yes, the main thing is that what people have been fighting for since then and, and is now kind of, uh, I would say, one battle in a way or like a battle like they are winning is saying like, no matter what, we need you need to have access to the source code. Now you can you can completely uh, label a free software with you know the source code being available on GitHub, and you can sell that. You can say you can you are free to read the software, but if you want to run it, you have to pay a license. That's completely mm -hmm. possible. Weirdly enough, nobody has done that with the GPL license on the, yeah. like the very free for some reason. But like you could technically do it. The main point is that you need to show the code. And you yeah. need to show the code so we can know how it's working and we can tweak it and we can actually, like, as a user, you can go and, you know, point out a bug or fix something. That is basically the idea of free beer versus uh, free software. It's like, it's not free in terms of, like, oh, I don't have to pay for it. It's free in terms of I can, I can see it and access it. And how does that affect the performance and security of the code? To play devil's advocate here, doesn't that mean that researchers are more easily able to inspect the code and find vulnerabilities and not disclose them? Well, I have a very good analogy for you. It's like you're living in a city like Berlin, which like you know, which has crime. Do you think that shutting down all the light during the night so that nobody can see anything is the best way to like, protect yourself against crime? I, no. <laughs> I, I don't think that I'm... I'm arguing that we should shut off the light here. I, I believe that I was asking a different question of, doesn't this make it easier for the uh, for researchers yeah, so, to yeah, exploit I know what you mean, but weaknesses? This, this analogy is actually built on the fact that for a long time in security, people have, have, were advocating what you call obscurity. Like, yeah, security through obscurity yeah. does not work. We know that. that, that that's a known thing. 
I'd still like to address the question because it's something that comes up often. Yeah, so basically, the fact is that what, what is good for open source applies also for security. And the good thing of open source is that you get many eyes on your code, which means that every, every time you do a change, every time you put your code out there, anybody can actually look at it and point out some issues. So by making yeah. the code open, you are... Yes, you are open, like you are showing the code to potential nasty bad hackers. Actors. Yeah, yeah, who want to uh, want to like you know do bad things to you. But you're also showing your code to all the nice hackers who just yeah. want to look for 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 issues and report them. And there is there is yeah. definitely more of one of the other. So this is yeah. one very strong thing. At, at the core, day to day, person to person, people are good. There's there are bad actors out there, but. By and large, people are good. And so when you put it out there, and yes, a bad actor could find an exploit, as you're saying, positive actor can also find that exploit and they would disclose it. Personally, I think it makes research, protective research, much better and uh, allows, quote unquote, white hat hackers to more, more thoroughly do their job and provide better research that's one point definitely i wanted to make that's you no know, it's help white hat but it also like you know many i mean you know that because you work in it and i work in it but like you know as long as the stuff is on on your internal svm nobody is asking questions if you start saying okay by <laughs> tomorrow we put that out on github people are like oh wait a minute did i read that right like can we have a security <laughs> audit before we do that you know so this yeah. is also kind of like forcing you to do this work of like am i secure which might mm-hmm. not have been done yeah. and yep. like you know if, if if the source is out there you have to do it like you just like you're going to think about you it. don't have a choice yeah yeah there, exactly. there is no choice you absolutely have to i would argue that people who follow good practices have to and the the number of bots out there that their sole purpose is to troll through GitHub and public GitLabs and other public repositories for keys, simply for reselling, you know, access to things, uh, is proof in the pudding that just because you're open sourcing it does not mean that you're doing your due diligence and making sure that it's secure. Exactly. Um, I believe we may have wandered a little bit off into the the deep end with jargon there. I want to, uh, Roman, you can help me explain uh, what I mean by. Uh, those open repositories and the credentials that are available in there. Yeah, nowadays we have, a very, even as developers, not, not even like normal people having like their Facebook account, but as developers already, we have a lot of uh, online activities and online profile. GitHub being one of them, GitHub is this open source, uh, GitHub is this um, repository for, for, for source code. And re- very regularly, people make the mistakes of, pu- of publishing out like a password or maybe like a, a, what we call a key file, like a, a file containing a, a key to access some system. On those stuff by not, like, not thinking hard enough what they're doing, and they get uh, they got hacked. A very very famous example is this guy who played around with uh, the Amazon cloud services. He basically mm-hmm. like logged in at twelve, played around, and went for lunch. And during lunch, like oh, I actually did put my uh, Amazon key on my GitHub account. By the time he came back from lunch, somebody had already used this thing and was already mining Bitcoin for one hour and racking yep. a $4,000 bill for him to pay. That's Absolutely. Definitely- and that's because there's these bots that literally nonstop check every public post that goes to these repos searching for strings that look like keys. And exactly. um, this is a, a big issue for, for CISOs around the world. Uh, that's uh, chief information security officers around the world. How, how to keep developers from 
from leaking things like that. And so you put in protocols for, you know, how you submit code, how code gets into your repository, whether you have public repositories or private repositories, you know, and there's a flow for going from the work that you're doing to code being released openly. Uh, and this ties into the open, you know, open source free as in speech, not as in beer. Working in a closed repository to develop the the product that you want, and then when you release the product, making the the final repository that it's available from open, and the difference between the two. There is a very different approach of being open source first versus like doing something and then open sourcing it. My company has been doing it a lot because Red Hat was has bought many other companies now that were not always doing open source um, most. Famously was CloudFarm, but we open source, for instance. So we had to do this work of saying, okay, this has been always like maintained internally and we have to, you know, make it squeaky clean. And yeah. oh, actually, funny story I heard about, like apparently Microsoft at some point, like in the past, shared some part of the kernel code with their main partner. And they had like to spend a couple of months cleaning it because there was like, you know, a viable code being called squeaky duck or whatever due to some yeah. internal jokes. So yes. they're like, oh, now we have to show it. And I have, <laughs> so this is not a, a statement based on fact because I have never accessed the database, the source code of the Oracle database. But I'm pretty sure one of the reasons Oracle is that open source the databases is because like, you know, people will yell if they were to be able to see the code of this thing. Absolutely. It's <laughs> like, no, you, you do not get to show the world my underwear. I'm wearing dirty underwear. Nobody can see this. Exactly. And if anybody from Oracle listen to this and like, <laughs> feel, feel we are wrong, please show us the code. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're happy to have Money this debate where... over the code. <laughs> <laughs> Money where your mouth is. So getting around to a, a little bit more of a accessible topic here, what sorts of questions do you run into? I mean, the whole point of this project is because so many people, when we're having a, a party or something like that, and they're like, oh, what do you do? And I talk about the fact that I work in uh, the internet and do security and things like that. I inevitably get into some arcane uh security discussion about how, you know, whatever problem they're facing that day is pertinent or not. Um, do you, I mean, as a software engineer, do you find this as often or is that, you know, or am I unique in this? Uh, so, I, so you are very nice because you actually replied to this question. I just run away and <laughs> I basically say I'm ready to fix your computer and being a Linux guy, I got a very easy uh, out of jail car because I'm like, oh, you have this <laughs> issue. Let me install Linux on your laptop and then I will help you. You know, they don't come to me and go, oh, I got hacked. What was wrong with my computer? They go, I heard about this thing on the news. What does that mean to me? Target got hacked. How does that happen? You know, that sort of thing. These are the questions that I, I get asked. It, it's not IT support for, for their computers. M most of my friends are uh, generous enough to to not ask me to be their personal IT support. Um, <laughs> well, I do. On my side, I, I did the work for them to stop trying to do to do that. Do you end up with in those conversations where you know it's hacking events are major news? You know, you're making the the U.S. reference here that's a, a little bit different for you and I. You know, you sit down to the six o'clock uh, news, and your local news anchor is on there talking about how the local chain 
true value or whatever it is, you know, so it'll be a subsidiary of some large company, but it's the local version got hacked. And now everybody needs to go reset their passwords. This is this is nightly news. I think that the media is doing us a disservice in making it scare news and not giving people enough information. And so I end up answering a lot of questions at parties. I was wondering if you find the same thing. Uh, I mean, not really. Maybe I don't go enough to parties or I do speak about something (laughs) else. Maybe the case I try to, like, I really try to steer away from shop talk if I can. Also, most people are getting tired of me telling me telling them just run Linux and stop bugging me. <laughs> For what it's worth, that is not a foolproof solution. <laughs> There's plenty of Linux machines that get hacked out there. And... You're going to, to I'm going to, to to quote a number because it's, there is a number like I always quote about that. But this is getting back into OS War, so I don't do that. <laughs> but no, technically, you could completely get hacked on a Linux system. The thing is that uh, mm. if you're using up to date distribution, you are as safe mm. I would, as I would say as you can be especially you are as safe as you can be without paying anybody for that like it's like the yeah. best free free in terms of like a free as a free as a free beer solution i would say to that point of making sure that you're up to date which is a huge huge thing just running linux isn't important you need to make sure that you're following best practices and when they release an update update it yeah. the same applies to windows since this is timely uh, Six months from now, if someone's listening to the podcast, it won't matter as much. But there really is a very important Windows update to run. So <laughs> if you if you haven't today, please stop what you're doing and go update your computer. <laughs> yeah, and this this update is very easy to do. Just go to, go to internet, download federal yeah. distribution, override your system. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Sorry, I had to do that. So, yeah, uh, yeah. So beating uh, a dead horse. <laughs> but so just to 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 circle back on that, uh, it's very funny. I just finished an article for a French magazine, which basically talk about how to update software on a Linux system, and this is part mm. of the uh, special issue on security. And they actually yeah. asked me to change my article to say like, you forgot to talk about security. This is why we wanted you to write that. I'm like, oh, of course. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I think there's a very basic, like the very basic stuff after having good password you have to do on your system is update. Always update. Yeah. Well, no, actually, always look at what the update is about. <laughs> but, and, and then update. <laughs> yeah, and then update. And also, so that's actually a tricky part because fortunately enough, we are right now not too much into this having this problem, but it's also a question of where do you get your update from? And this is exactly. where we again circle back to the who issue of who do you trust? trust. Exactly. Who do, who do you trust? trust? This, yeah. this sounds awfully familiar yeah. to our data privacy conversation. Yeah, this is exactly circling back into that. So let's make a very stupid example. You hear that somebody that the NSA is now reading, like use some kind of uh, of breach on Windows to, you, to, to read your emails. Well, if you apply like the security patch provided by uh, Microsoft or Go- of, of Google, will you know have like like agreed to let the NSA access system not going to help you because like you know there like this is a virtual situation of course but just saying that you know you the patch you might apply will not help you because the source is not trust due to be trusted and yeah. this is actually very difficult to like you know because of the way the internet is built you could very much be adding a source of patch to your system to make it very abstract yeah. that could be that could be looking legit but actually is run by some I don't know hacker lost in China so yeah, we'll just say bad actor yeah. whether they're you know private or state yeah. run or what have you or you know yeah. the, the kid next door bad actor sort of is a nice umbrella term here yeah bad actor is a good uh-huh. word so basically so the point is that like this I, this issue of like who to trust is a bit difficult because it used to be like oh okay apple is giving an update i just say yes and yeah. uh it's still the case you can still like trust apple's updates but depending on you know 
what you are well, worried about. If you trust, I mean, that's if, yeah, yeah, if you trust Apple. And this is a, a very common way to get exploits into open source issues. The uh, and also how to take down systems, things like LeftPad. That was a function, was it uh, for a Ruby gem, for, for Ruby code? I, do you remember the LeftPad? Uh, Not at all. Not at all. No, it was but, um, yeah. one of those. And um, it's a really simple little function that just gives you padding on the left for, for uh, display updates. So it ha I'm pretty sure it was JavaScript. Uh, so, you know, move, move this box over uh, two pixels to the right. And that's what LeftPad did. Um, and they got, you know, the guy got into a spat with someone else and pulled his code off of the distribution. There was so much other code on the internet that relied on that little, that little tiny four line function uh, that it literally took, took out serious percentage of the internet. And other things that have happened are there's uh, security updates that have gone into code that was done maliciously. And so it went through, you know, it got in into the distribution system. And my software manager says, oh, there's an update for this security uh, library. It's recommended that you run the update. I trust my, my software manager. So I click yes and do the update. And now that malicious code is running on my laptop. The wonderful thing about it being open source is this was very quickly found and reverted. But these are the sorts of things that happen. Yep. yep. Yeah, to be honest, I remember, I don't remember the left part, but I remember, I think it was the Herblade or whatever, the one coming with some issue into OpenSSH. And yeah. I think it was, the issue was that the Debian packager uh, did some kind of code change to make it work. And this code change basically break open the OpenSSH server. People were complaining a lot at the time because they were like, yeah, look, open source back everything. But the fact is that, yeah. you know, if this yeah. package manager it, it was in, that, It was almost immediately found because it was open source. So this yeah. was, in my opinion, uh, an open source victory story. This is a standalone of mechanism where you basically end up having the, the repository of like being uh, infected somehow. Is yeah. there by a mistake yeah. or is there by in, in intent? And yes, and this yeah. is a difficult part. This actually gets me back to the notes that I do have. Never reuse passwords anywhere ever, 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 <laughs> ever, because that's actually exactly how this uh, this particular exploit happened. The author for his old GitHub login, and it was managed through that. And it was just an ancient password that he had laying around forever. And it was reused some when you use the same password everywhere. And so whether it was the target hack or something, his credentials ended up on the dark web and someone bought them and was just going around everywhere trying them, found that they worked on this repository and were able to take over <laughs> ownership of the repository and push out the code. So I'm laughing. So this don't is, reuse passwords. Yeah, this is going to make your life laugh a lot. But uh, you know that uh, the platform we use for gaming, which is called Roll20, has recently been uh, hacked. Yes. And they released yes. something about the, the sorted password being reused. So I did the work of checking that the password I used for Roll20 was not used uh, anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And it was, and I've changed them. And <laughs> I, re realizing that, you know, realizing that I used the password for like Red Hat stuff or for like sales stuff, I was like, oh God, it was stupid <laughs> of me. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, everybody does it. These, you know, we've been on the internet for 25, you know, plus years now. There are things in our closets from forever ago. If you listen to episode one, I talk about, you know, password hygiene. There's tools out there for using it, open source ones. 
Uh, do you use KeePass? No, I don't. Oh. I don't use. So I'm. I'm. I'm actually old-fashioned about that. I'm. I'm. I kind of keep my password list somewhere outside of any system, just to be like mm -hmm. you know, because you know, if you use KeePass or anything, you are implicitly trusting the developer of KeePass or the provider and stuff. But still, like I, as, like I don't but mind I mean, those two. The whole people. point is it's open source. You can go look at that code. That's the whole value of it. And... Yes, but I'm too. I'm too lazy to do that. But yeah, like I mean, so. <laughs> Definitely, if you're using something like KeePass, uh, you're doing it right. Like, you know, it's not. I'm yep. not saying it's wrong. I'm just too lazy to do that. And also, I I want to keep it like the, the more you have this kind of tool, the more like you have integration uh, into between between your software, which also needs some kind of work. And I don't I don't like that, but it's just personal. But definitely, you should not have twice the same password, especially yep. now that it's easy to have several of them. So good old fashioned notebook in the in the backpack. <laughs> Yeah, basically, so. it's still valid. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm old enough to remember like people in the Linux community, like you know, having their own little notebook and like giving each other their SSH key on a paper, like this SSH key, yep. like physically yep. and right, I like can writing it out. Yeah. yeah, I can prove you I am myself by showing the ID, and so yep. I, I don't think it's still very much relevant, but I'm still like you know, I'm still. Walking under the assumption. Well, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. We uh, we touched on some interesting topics. Went off into yeah. the weeds a little bit. Than, yeah, than, we've been we've hour. been all over the place. So <laughs> next time we should we should do another one where we prepare a bit yeah. more on like discuss a bit more what we want to discuss about because we've been jumping yeah. in all direction. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry but, if it's difficult to follow. <laughs> nah, I'm sure it'll be just fine. Thank you so much for your time, Roman. Look forward to uh, hearing from our listeners. Have Ooh. a wonderful day. Thanks. Bye.